Thank you. And uh, how about this bank right here? Thank you. Good morning. Good to be together. Good to be here in the name of the Lord. Um, let's pray before we look into God's word. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you that we can worship together, that we can sing songs to you and lift up your name and lift up your goodness. And now, Lord, we, we uh, are looking into the word that you have given us for our good, for your glory, and may we benefit from it, Lord. And thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> you know, when you think of the person of Satan, and we saw this last week, that he knows his time is short. But when you think of the person of Satan, he can mean so many different things to different people. And so many people have such a, a kind of a wank, wonky view of Satan, who he is, if they believe in him at all. But in fact, there is a tax-exempt religious organization named the Satanic Temple. The thing about them is they don't actually believe in Satan. But they work in areas of education and um, helping areas, you know, pe helping people in the law and even doing good works for people. But they try to free people from religious restrictions that they feel, you know, shouldn't be placed upon people. Like if there's a law in the land and it seems to favor Christian belief, well, they will work to against that law in, in the legal sense. <clears throat> Like, you know, they were really upset with the Roe v. Wade decision by the Supreme Court. And they came out very strongly, you know, wording, really strongly worded attacks uh, against that decision from the Supreme Court. But just to be fair, you know, as we talk about them, they do engage in acts of charity, and they try to help people that have basic needs. And so they do help with... Uh, they do engage in endeavors that seem to help people who are hurting. But what I think is ironic about the whole matter <clears throat> is that even though they do not believe that Satan exists, they want to free people from the bondage, in some sense, they want to free people from the bondage to Christian beliefs. So in that sense, they are anti-Christian. Or you might say they are adversarial. And it just so happens that the word Satan means adversary. Because he opposes God. And that's what they've called him for ages and ages. The adversary. He opposes God and he opposes God's people and God's plans. He is the adversary, the accuser of God's people, and he's the deceiver. Those are three main titles given to Satan. You know, we know that Satan came after Adam and Eve in the garden. And he persuaded them to disobey God. He persuaded them that God was trying to hold back something from them. And they fell into his trap. 
and then it plunged all humanity into sin and death. And then we also see him in other places in Scripture. Maybe one of the most well-known was when Satan came to Jesus when he was going through his 40-day fast. And he came to him at the end of that fast, and he tried to tempt him, of course, to go against God's plan. So he is the adversary. And then we saw him last week here in chapter 12 of Revelation when he rebelled against God in heaven, and he was cast out of heaven, and he took one-third of the angels with him who chose to go with him. And it says there in chapter 12, that they lost their place in heaven. They were hurled out of heaven and lost their place. And it says that in Revelation 12, that the devil was filled with fury because he knows his time is short. So this morning, we're going to see him in his true Satan form. And he knows his time is short. He's furious. And he's going to try to take as many people down as he can. So that's his goal, to see how many people he can take and to live in misery for eternity with him. So I want you to look with me as I read chapter 13 and verses 1 through 4. And we'll learn a lot about Satan in this passage. Now, Satan is the dragon, we learn in chapter 12. It says, the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. And this is, this is the Apostle John, and he's seeing all these visions, and it's teaching him, you know, what God wants him to know at this time to pass on to churches and others. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on its horns, and each head had a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? Now, we said that Revelation is the story about God reclaiming his creation that Satan usurped. And God is using a step-by-step process all through history. And when he is finished... All evil will be dealt with forever. All evil will be gone. We will never be tempted by evil or taken captive by evil. So John the Apostle says he sees Satan in his vision on the shore of the sea. Now in the Bible, the sea so many times is this place of, you know, unpredictable possible, you know, it's a threat, it's a danger, and you know, you could be on the sea, and all of a sudden, it'll just turn you, and could destroy you, and it could come in and destroy cities that are close to the sea, and it can be all razzed up, 
where you can't do your sea lanes anymore, which was a major source of income. So the sea is always something that's unpredictable, could be dangerous, and is dangerous at times. And sometimes they'll use the sea as image when a nation comes and destroys uh, the, the Israelites in some way. They'll say that it's the sea. So we have this dragon who is Satan standing on the shore. The dragon is the devil. We learned that in chapter 12 and other places in the Bible. But as the dragon stands on the shore, out comes this horrible beast from the water, from the sea, like the abyss. <clears throat> and this dragon, or this, this beast, has ten horns. Horns are the strength of an animal. It's what they fight with. So that means ten horns. That's a big number. It's, it's a number of bigness. So it means there's an immense power in this beast. He has seven heads. Heads refer to thinking, planning, strategizing, you know, can, can think through things. So this beast is powerful and it's smart. Ten crowns, that's majesty, royalty, authority, ruling. So the dragon is giving this beast, is enabling this beast to have immense power, to have majesty, to have fullness of thinking. He says... It says he resembles a leopard that refers to his speed with which he works. The feet of a bear he crushes, and the mouth of a lion he devours. So the dragon gave this beast his power, his throne, and great authority. The beast receives his power from the dragon. And this beast has a fatal wound on one of his heads... But the wound was healed. Now, if it's fatal, he's dead, right? So he's back from the dead. So the whole world was struck with awe over this beast who came back from the dead. He conquered death. So the world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. And it says that people worshipped the dragon for giving the beast his authority and they also worshipped the beast because they were so enamored with him. He's had such power. So guess what we have in this beast and this dragon? <clears throat> we know that the dragon is Satan cast down to earth. We see the dragon call up this beast. This is an immensely powerful beast. He gives him a throne and great authority. This beast has a fatal wound, and he comes back to life from the dead. Everyone worshiped the dragon because what he did for the beast or how he empowered the beast, and now they worship the beast because for who he is, all of his power. So you see, what we have here is Satan putting himself in the role of God the Father, and the beast, who's come back from the dead, is stepped into the role of Jesus Christ, the risen Christ. <clears throat> and we know that Satan is a deceiver, and he's taking on the characteristics of God the Father and Jesus Christ with this beast. You know, we know that Satan's fall was when he said, I want to be like God. I want to be like the Most High. And we know that Satan knows his time is short. 
and he's going to use the time that he has left to play God and cause as much destruction as he can and take as many captives as he can. But instead of a heavenly God of light and truth and purity and love and helpfulness and eternal life, which we know is God the Father, Satan is actually, even though he pretends to be different, he's actually a dragon of hate and evil and revenge and death. And as God has his beloved son who came to the earth, sacrificed his life, and rose from the dead from the power of God, Satan has his beastly, destructive, blasphemous son out of the depths of the pit. Both of them soaking in, the dragon and the beast, soaking in the worship of the world. And that is Satan imitating God. Now, we know that when God sent his son to the earth, Jesus came in humility and love and gave himself for everyone else. He came to serve and give himself as a ransom for many. But now I want to look at verses 5 through 8 to see what Satan and his son do. It says, the beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Quite a huge difference between our Heavenly Father and His Son, who is the Lamb of God, and the dragon and His Son, the beast. And who we are actually talking about here in these verses, this matches the Antichrist that we will see later on. And his exercise of authority, in his exercise, he is full of pride and blasphemies. I mean, he even blasphemes God. He blasphemes God, his name, his dwelling, and those who dwell those who live in heaven. Those are three things of inapproachable holiness. God, his name, and his dwelling. But the beast treats them like they're dirt and garbage. He totally disrespects that which is good. And the beast wages war against God's people and conquers them. He gains authority over all the peoples of the earth. And all whose names are not in the book of life will worship the beast. And if they don't, they will pay for it. But mostly, everyone is totally enamored with this beast. They're drawn to worship him. They're thankful for him. And they're thankful that the the dragon has given the beast all this power. And they're just enamored with this power. 
and how, you know, whatever he does and how good he is or what, whatever he does, how effective it is. But now verses 9 and 10 tell us God's message for his people, God's people during this time. <clears throat> he says, whoever has ears, let them hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, this is the turn of the time when the, the beast is ruling, the dragon and the beast. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. These are the 42 months that we've been seeing about. The 1260 days, the 42 months, the three and a half years. And what he's saying here in these last, three verse, these last two verses is whoever is going to go into captivity during these last 42 months that, that Satan is going to rule, they're going to go. There's no getting away from it. And whoever is destined to be killed with the sword during these times, they will be killed with the sword. And what he's saying here is that this is truly going to be a time of suffering for God's people. I mean, God's people will suffer. Some will be taken captive. Some will be killed. And it's emphasizing the certainty of the coming of suffering during these 42 months. God is going to allow evil to reign for this short period of time. And there will be true suffering. And then the end of verse 10 says, this calls, that last sentence, this calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. <clears throat> this will be a severe testing for God's people, whoever is here at that time. And you know, we've been through the passages from the New Testament in past sermons where God allows his children to suffer to get us ready for heaven. You know, I was looking into the Bible in another sermon to look at some passages on suffering, the suffering of Christians. And I was just going to show a few on the screen and there was not an end to them. There were so many, I picked about five, but it's just a natural thing, and we haven't really seen that in America. You know, our founders founded us on good biblical principles, and so we haven't had that here, but around the world, it happens all the time. You know, God's people suffer under corrupt, you know, leadership and governments and dictators we have brothers and sisters around the world that have serious, serious suffering for Christ. And many of you know that already. And when I read their stories, their bravery just astounds me. <clears throat> these people, these men, these women, these children. And they're taken to jail, some of them. And they stay there for months or some years. They get out and they go back out and preach the gospel. Pastors get out, they go back to the church. The very thing they got arrested doing. And people say, are you sure you want to do this? 
And they say, of course we want to do this. They're just brave. <clears throat> but you know, at this point, God hasn't called us to suffer this way. But it really is the normal way for Christians, for people on the side of God. But we just need to focus on what God has called us to do, country, and we need to focus on what God has, wants us to do in our place at this time. But we can be praying, of course, for our brothers and sisters who are on the front line. And they're taking all the bullets. And all they ask, every time when people report back to us what they ask, they say, please pray that we'll be brave and faithful. They always say that. And, and, uh, and the, they always say, they, they never ask, pray that we'll be released from prison. Pray that we'll be released from evil and suffering. They say, please pray that we'll be faithful. But you know, now we have one more member of this end time team of evil. And it's going to be the second beast. And look what John says about the second beast in the next two verses, 11 and 12. He says, then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. <clears throat> so the second beast comes from the earth, not the sea. He has two horns like a lamb, so he looks uh, innocent and, and soft and gentle. But he, ha he speaks like a dragon, so he's not. He's evil. He's harsh. He exercises all the authority of the first beast, the second beast does. But it's on behalf of the first beast. So everything he's doing is to benefit the first beast or point people towards the first beast. <clears throat> and he uses his power to have everyone on earth worship the first beast. So this second beast is really working toward getting the people of the earth worshiping the first beast. Now look at verses 13 and 14. <clears throat> I think that is 13 though. And it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of the people. Because of the signs it was given power to perform on the behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. <clears throat> so this second beast is performing miraculous signs to show the people his power. And he performs these signs to deceive the people of the earth and to, get, and to build the allegiance to the first beast. Then he orders the people to build an image in honor of the beast. So he's gone all out for this first beast. Now look what happens as the second beast convinces the people to build the image. <clears throat> the second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak 
and cause all who refuse to worship the image to be killed. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads. So that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. <clears throat> so the second beast is all about getting people to give all their devotion, their allegiance, and even their worship to the first beast. Then they make them receive the mark of the beast, without which they cannot buy or sell or trade or whatever. And it says the mark is the name of the beast or the number of its name. Now, <clears throat> before we read our last verse here, have you thought about how the second beast fits into the picture or this narrative that we've been talking about? Remember that Satan is the dragon. The man of sin, his man of sin is the first beast who is the Antichrist. And who would be the second beast that leads people to worship the first beast? Wouldn't he be like the Holy Spirit? Because the Spirit points us toward Jesus. <clears throat> so what Satan has done is he's put together an unholy trinity. And you know, Satan is a deceiver. And he said he wanted to be like God. And now in this passage, he's been cast out of heaven. He was furious. We saw this in chapter 12. He was furious, and he went after the woman. He was stopped from attacking the woman by God. So then it says, he went after the children of the woman. That would be the children of God. And the way Satan carried out his plan was to form an unholy trinity. Satan is a deceiver. He is God's adversary. And Satan, knowing his time is short, works to take as many captives as he can. He promises earthly power and riches. That's the big difference. Satan promises, you know, that you're going to be a king down here. He encourages us to be self-centered. He always tells us that we're being cheated and mistreated. He wants us to pile up all of our treasures here on the earth during this life. At the end of the age, God is going to allow Satan to achieve a level of success, but it will be short-lived. Now, in verse 18... God gives us the number of the beast. <clears throat> it says, this calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. That number is 666. That does, that, that's hard to build, kind of make sense of. I think in that day it made real good sense to the readers. But it says to calculate the number, then it gives us the number. So I think what it's saying is to work through, think through, 
and, re and realize who this person is. The number of the man, it's, which is 666, but that's probably code for something, and then tell you who it is. But that would be the Antichrist. And the thing is, the number of perfection in the Bible in those days, what they would use for a number of per perfection was seven. And so this man falls short triply. In a triple way, he falls short of perfection. Someone, it would be someone masquerading as the perfection or as God, but is definitely not. Yet he will deceive and win over basically the world. I mean, the world will follow him. He is the master deceiver. And the way that people are deceived by Satan is when we place all of our dreams and hopes and desires and values on the things of the earth. If our minds are upon all the things of the earth, then Satan has us. He can, he can get to us. And Jesus tells us to store our treasures in heaven. If we store our treasures in heaven, Satan can't get to us. He can't convince us because we'll be thinking in the right way, and he'll be trying to tempt us in the other way. You know, when we seek first the things of this earth, riches, popularity, celebrity status, all the things that just seem so good and enjoyable, and, and they are to the flesh, right? And just to humanity. Promiscuity, materialism, having the biggest house, the nicest car. When those become our priority, then we are just taken in by Satan's traps. And we have this vulnerable mindset. <clears throat> We're taken in by Satan's ploys. But when we keep our desires on things above, things that God values, things that God tells us are more valuable, like being faithful to him, like being in the word of God and having the word of God just kind of flow in our being, like serving our family and our friends and our neighbors, like not seeking earthly riches to the point of neglecting more important things. That mindset protects us from falling into Satan's trap. We know who Satan is. Many people today say he's not real. They're setting themselves up. We see our nation moving away from a belief in God. And they're starting to go into crazy, ridiculous things. Because they have no foundation to build, no foundation of truth to build anything upon if there's no God. And Satan sees that, and he's coming in. He's saying, these people are ripe. But, you know, we know the way to avoid his traps. And so we, we can be ever more vigilant, <laughs> ever more vigilant, <laughs> sorry about that, as the time draws near, we can be watchful, we can be careful, we can make sure that we're not being taken in, 
by good fellowship, by being in the word, by worshiping the Lord, by just staying on that narrow road. Because everyone is susceptible if they let their guard down. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and how it just gives us so much information that we need and how it gives us ways to protect ourselves. And Lord, we know that in this world, we stand against a mighty enemy, but you are even mightier. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us keep our minds on the right track, that you would help us not just be taken aside and, and, and down this road just little step by little step, but keep us vigilant and help us, Lord, <clears throat> to encourage one another to set our treasures in heaven and then to be an example for others and to help save others from this drastic end that we don't want to go down. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat>